available. Number 516, May 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this is the annual podcast that I spend the most time preparing for. It is our podcast about the six novels nominated this year for the Nebula Awards by uh, the science fiction writers. They get together at the Science Fiction Writers Association, and they, they, they vote. I believe Dan gets to vote in the nebulas now dan morin hello hi uh that's technically true yes i do and i think i did actually this year (laughs) i I, am so bad at remembering these things but yes it's a pleasure to be here because i did the required reading jason for the first time in many years in a a long time so it's nice to have you thanks for showing up uh six books nominated not everybody read all six but most of them i think read five of the six and the the sixth one we was the continuation of a series scott and i took the bullet on that one we'll get to that in a little bit um and then of course we will follow this up in a few months with a hugo nominees there there are like three books i think that were nominated for the hugo that we can talk about along with some stories and stuff but this is for the six novels we'll get to them all i've selected them uh, randomly and i've selected uh we we did a little draft before the show to see who would help me remember what's in these books also joining us uh me and dan on this episode the usual uh haunters of the r- awards reading shortlist aline Ooh. sims is here hello hello this is the first time i'm doing a book club episode with dan i think <gasps> wow Ever. this is exciting this has been exciting. a while i started reading again that's what it is dan remember how to read times. it's good erica ensign is also here hi I have no idea if this is the first time I've done a book club episode with Dan. It's Probably possible. <laughs> I think we've done one before. I think, I think so. I think so. And, and Scott McNulty, Dan's nemesis, is always here for book club, oh, except for that time that he point. wasn't. But usually. <laughs> that, that, that is the McNulty promise. I will always be there for you, except when I'm not. Except when you're not. Yeah. Just count, <laughs> I, count on me to be there until I don't show up. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And this is, this is certainly not the first time I was on a book club episode with Dan, because the very first episode that's of true. The Incomparable yeah, right. was a book one. club episode. Way back. And we were both on it. Yeah. That's only, it was only a, a mere almost 10 years ago, Scott. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, I did take all six nominees and put them in random.org, and we will speak about them in a random order. And of course, I'm going to warn you now, at the end, I'm going to ask you to rank them, and we will come up with a consensus ranking from this group of our favorite to least favorite of these nominees. And to those out there who are worried about spoilers, we'll probably spoil a little bit. But um, I don't think we'll ruin your enjoyment of of the whole thing. We'll try to be a little bit oblique at least. But um, hopefully you will get, uh, you'll be intrigued and you will want to read more. Uh, You don't have to read all six like some of us did, but you could, I'm sure you could find uh, a book or two to read. And actually just up front, I will say this is the happiest uh, awards shortlist I have had in a while in that. Um, there were no books that I despised. <laughs> and in fact, generally, I liked all of them, except for the one that I thought was just not very good, but was okay. And even it was okay. Um, and the others I thought were all good. So that was nice. It was nice not to have, you know, be sad about reading books I hate. It was, it's, I like that. It was a good crop this year. I think so. Yeah, I agree. I think so. Those are people who didn't read the book that Scott and I read. But yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> I was gonna say, not all of them are good. But... Uh, mostly. Five, well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Mostly. Mostly. All right. So, uh, random.org has selected a song for a new day by Sarah Pinsker for our first discussion. Uh, Erica, 
uh, chose this in our little pre-show draft to help me out and talk about what A Song for a New Day is all about. Erica, do you want to start? Well, random.org really wants us to just like jump in with the hardest thing first. <laughs> yep, we're going to get it out of the way right Both now. Feet. Get out of the way, yep. yep. And I'll say that it's not the hardest book uh, to read in terms of like the density of the prose no. or anything. It's the fact that it's about, uh, in part, a plague that causes the world to have to separate and isolate. And if that sounds familiar to you, if, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast... If that doesn't sound familiar to you, you are an sh- alien and we see you. Or, or you're in the you're future. you're listening to this podcast a hundred years in the yeah. future. Yeah, and you're far like, in the Ooh. future. Oof. Yeah. That's possible, Jason. The incomparable will be long-lasting. Sure. Why not? In 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 the after. Uh, yeah, so this book is it's basically sort of, it has a couple different point of view characters. One starts in the before. It is referred to as the before with a capital B. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another character in the after with a capital A. Um, so we get to follow this one character who is, uh, her name is Luce Cannon. That's L-U-C-E. Yep. Um, and uh, and she's a musician, and her band at the beginning of the book plays the very last show in front of like a live audience before kind of everything crumbles. It's not just uh, an, ap- uh, an apocalyptic plague here. There are also bombs and violence, so it's it's not exactly an analog for what's happening to our world right now. But Yet. it's pretty similar. Um, <laughs> and so so we get to sort of watch her experience the beginning of this. And then we cut to a different POV character named Rosemary Laws, who is a teenager, um, maybe like 18, 19. She's, she's not. Mm, I think she's in her early 20s. Yeah, she's early in her 20s? early 20s. Okay. She's like 22, I think. But she's very, shel- has lived a very sheltered very life. Sheltered. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. she feels, feels younger because she has grown up in this after time and she and her parents yeah. live, live on a farm and she has, has met very few people in person. They have a quote unquote hood space, which is like, you know, uh, you can have your avatar in virtual reality on the internet and that's how you go to school and that's how you meet people and that's how you date and and all that kind of stuff so it's it's sort of the the juxtaposition of the world falling apart and what the world turns into and it i won't say too much more about it but it kind of weaves together it was it was a little tough to read to start off with but i think by the end for me at least uh it I felt hopeful about the world there were some things in the after that i was kind of like i would like that now Please deliver, please deliver booze to me via drone to my window. I would like that. I actually took a break from this one about halfway through because it just hit at a time. Like I was reading it a couple weeks ago and I had that moment of, I need to put this down because it's too mm-hmm. real right now. And mm-hmm. I started reading something else yep. and I came back to it this past weekend and it was, it was easy. Like I'd steeled myself a little bit for it. Mm-hmm. And then I, it's, it's again, to Eric's point, not because it's bad or anything. It's just because it's, you know, <laughs> Sarah Pinsker didn't write this in the middle of a pandemic. She wrote this well before a pandemic happened. It's not her fault. Yep. Uh, it's not her fault. She got so much right. Like I was, I yes, would find myself so running up across uh, paragraphs. Like I, I highlighted one, a uh, couple sentences where, where it says, how many people were going to struggle to pay their bills next month if the club stayed closed? Clubs, theaters, cinemas, stadiums, malls, even mm-hmm. a day could be devastating for an hourly worker. And I was like, whoa, yeah. I had yep. to stop for a while after that. She really thought that one through. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was, yep. it's, it's a great, 
you know, you don't want to necessarily be in a situation where you can vouch for a science fiction writer really nailing stuff. I mean, like, usually you feel like you want that to be more positive. Like, oh, remember when we predicted computers, like, and go to space? That was great. We totally got that right. This is a situation where you did not want them to be right, and yet they very much were. Mm. Yeah, we're all experts on the outcome of this now. I think, so we've talked about the the, the fact that this is a little too real because it is about the effects of a global pandemic uh, dis- socially distancing society in the long run. It is about more than that. It is in part about um, kind of joy of, of live music and of music performance mm-hmm. and trying to process sort of the difference between uh, an ephemeral live performance and something that is more of a broadcast or something like that. And can it be can it be a good match or not? I think that's in here. It is about this kind of awakening of Rosemary of Luce trying to come to grips with who she's going to be next after the world ends. Uh, I think that that's a big part of it too. And there's also this kind of corporatization of entertainment. That's, I mean, Ticketmaster or something thereof, mm-hmm. you know, is basically uh, where Rosemary works and they have cornered the market on music performance in hood space in this VR world. And, you know, there's a real strong argument here about how, um, the corporatization of music has ruined it and that you've got to get back to sort of what it's all about, man. And that's all, it's all, so there's, she's got a lot of ideas that she's kind of processing in, in yep. Song for a New Day. And the uh, the stuff about uh, about the pandemic stuff is not the only stuff that she really nailed. I mean, she's a musician and it it shows. Yeah. I, I grew up, my parents were musicians in multiple bands. My mom recorded an album in Nashville. Like I lived with and dated uh, multiple band members. Um, my basement was constantly being used uh, as either a show venue or just for practices. Like there were, there's there's one particular underground club in the after where there are some very visceral descriptions of what it's like to be in a crowd and to have like live music pumping at you. And like I was taken back to all of these basement shows where you kind of have to stoop a little bit because the pipes that are over your head are a little too low, but you don't care because the music is just like it, it blowing you away completely even though there's only like 12 people around you but you're all dancing and you can't help it and and yeah that is that is the sort of thing that you you can't capture on you know a YouTube video or even a virtual reality kind of thing so I was I was right there with her I'm glad to hear that that works because as someone who was like that was very much not my scene and I never yeah. really experienced that it was harder for me to get into that space at some times because I just I did not have an experience to relate to that and while she did a great job of talking about it, like I didn't have the same visceral reaction. Maybe some of that's just I'm not as much of a music person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just doing music on the pages is tough, right? Like it's hard to convey the feeling of something that is very much not written prose in that way like there's a whole nother dimension and i think you know she does it very well here but like you know to a certain extent there's only so much you can do to really represent that but i'm glad that like someone with the experience of that really that it resonated for you because it it (laughs) convinces me that she was doing a good job of it (laughs) yes i she she really really was it was it was it was actually weird because it was following like many of the chapters about the world falling apart came first so i was just like kind of rocked from that and then you get into these other things that are uh, that I, I felt as deeply as as those, but they are from much earlier in my life when I was sort of a different person and, you know, doing lots of different things and making very different choices with my life. And it was it was just like this weird uh, 
mental frisson going on being like, I felt like a pinball in the middle of the machine just being like <laughs> bonked back and forth between different parts of my life. But all of them felt like they were equally vibrant and real. Scott, you have any thoughts on this one? Uh, well, so since we are living in a dystopia now, I don't <laughs> feel like I need to read dystopian novels. Uh but uh, that being said, it was very good. Uh, it depressed me as I read it, um, and uh, I am I've, I've been having I I read generally I read a lot. I have there are a couple of reasons why my reading has fallen off a cliff. Uh, there are your children. One. <laughs> two. I, have, I have two, two reasons. Two tiny people who uh, require constant attention uh, is one of them, and the other is the the world is falling apart. So I'm distracted by that. Uh, so. I am looking for, well, I've been reading um, award-nominated novels the last couple of months for some reason, but Hmm. outside of assigned reading, I am looking for kind of escapist fantasy, Um, and this is not that uh, for our particular moment in time. So I, I, I struggle to recommend anyone read this because I did not enjoy reading it, but I did think it was well written, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because it's not Sarah Pinsker's fault that she was right about so much and that she put out this book like right before stuff started to happen. So like maybe buy it and then read it like 20 years down the line. (laughs) (laughs) Just hold on to it. Put it in your pocket. Yep. I want to say two things in here that snagged me a little bit in my reading of it is one. And and I understand like some of these things were taken to extremes, I think, in order to like, uh, you know, bring the drama and the conflict in. Rosemary's shelteredness. She is so sheltered like so naive and and they hang a lantern on it right like that's kind of the point how naive she is compared to what's going on in the real world and like dealing with that and you know her parents live like off the grid kind of even but i struggled with sometimes how naive she was about even just really basic things uh and then on the flip side of that there is a bit where you know jason mentioned the the company that has the sort of stranglehold on the market of live performances and not to spoil too much, but there is one particular thing they do that is just a little bit too mustache twirly for me hmm. in terms of how they carry out their business mm-hmm. model. Um, and like, I feel like it didn't necessarily need to go that extra mile to make the point about corporatism. Right. But I understand why it needs to go that way for the plot to work. I don't know. I think about some corporations we have in the world now, and I feel like it would not be a huge jump. Like, I would believe that those companies would do that kind of thing even now. <sighs> I think that they would just put them out of business through like basically sheer force of will without having to go that extra step. That's my feeling on the matter. Like not because I think they're good people, but like, you know, good organizations, but just because I don't think they would care that much. I'm kind of with Scott on this one in terms of like it was a good book. And if I had read it six months ago. I probably would have liked it. It's it's well written. It's you know, it's it's interesting. It wasn't hard to read. Um, I found I'm finding some other books we're reading for award nominations to be kind of hard to read um, from an intellectual standpoint. It, it, it was none of those things, but just like emotionally, it was like, is this what we have to look forward to? <laughs> oh, oh, OK. And so, you know, just kind of that. um I don't know. It was it was very, very, very real. Very real. Yeah. I think in some ways the prose is the easiest to read and most kind of pleasant to read of all six of them. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Very accessible. But the subject matter mm-hmm. is, yep, a little bit maybe too real for a lot of us living in 
lockdown. So, yeah. I don't know. I think I think in a way in the end it helped me it helped me process a little bit. Like there's something on the other side of this. And right. obviously the after in this book is not necessarily going to be what we are going to get in in the after uh, of whatever is is happening now, but like it it sort of it paints a, a rosier picture of of some of the stuff than I think you know may actually turn out. But like another part I highlighted where it, uh, a character says, "I'm not saying everything is perfect. You'd have to have seen the before to know how much better this after is." Here, at least, the prison cycles got a flat tire. The rents went back to manageable when all the rich people left. City resources reall- were reallocated more fairly. Like there are there are definitely some some pluses that came out of it. And I know it's totally fiction. And I know that the that might not be the way things go, but just the idea that there could be some positives that come out of the awfulness that's happening right now, I found I found helpful. Let me take a break from great books, mostly great books, and tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Pingdom from Solar Winds. Do you have a website? And most importantly, does your website have a, let's say, shopping cart, maybe a registration form or a contact us page? you answered yes to these questions, you need Pingdom because nobody wants the critical parts of their website, their critical website transactions to fail because their computers have betrayed them. That means a bad experience for your users. It's a bad thing for your business, but you can set up transaction monitoring within Pingdom. Transaction monitoring alerts you when cart checkout fails, when forms fail, when login pages fail. It's not just, is my site up? It's, is my site working? Or have my computers that run my website betrayed me? Uh, And you'll get alerted before your customers and your business may even notice, which is great because then you could fix it before it becomes a big problem that festers and is bad in any way. Pingdom just lets you know immediately when any of them fail and they let you know in whatever way you choose, whichever way is best for you. Customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. It couldn't be easier to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now, and you'll get a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. When you sign up, use the code Snell, my last name, at checkout. You'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for supporting me incomparable. Uh, let's move on to our next book, our next Nebula nominee. Dan is going to help me talk about Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Dan? Jason, let me explain. No, no there's too much. No. Let me sum them up. <laughs> um, so Inconceivable, in, Dan. Yeah. In space. Mm. Yes. <laughs> there are nine houses that belong to this huge uh, empire. Each house has a uh, necromancer, and each necromancer has a cavalier, who's sort of like their bodyguard slash partner. Um, the representatives of the nine houses are called to this really weird, creepy, haunted house to determine which of them will sort of ascend <laughs> to this next level of godhood. We follow Gideon Nav, who is a soldier, uh, orphan raised in the ninth house, and um, she's kind of hates everything about it. She wants to leave. Um, she has grown up with basically very few other kids around, the only one being the necromancer of the ninth house, who is Harrowhawk. 
Harrowhark. I wanted to call her Harrowhawk the entire me too. time. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was like halfway through and I'm like, oh, it's not Harrowhawk. It's Harrowhark. Oh, yeah. I'm misreading that. Yes, Harrow for short. And um, she is through a series of machinations slash accidents uh, forced to become Harrow's cavalier uh, when they go off to this creepy house. Um, where all of the uh, various necromancers in the various houses are sort of competing to uh, find, unlock these keys to greater power and ascend to this level of godhood that will let them serve the emperor. It's part fantasy, it's part science fiction, it's part murder mystery. <laughs> like There is oh, a yeah. lot going on here, um, and it is very irreverent at a lot of points. Um, we have a lot of these sort of puzzles that they need to get solved and they're both competing with each other and working together and they're also like there's this whole Agatha Christie-esque fact that like people are the you know these the necromancers and their cavaliers are slowly dying and yeah. somebody is killing them and we don't know who um so yeah all of this stuff combines into what is just a incredibly strange wild inventive totally original from my feeling ride through this uh and we see it all basically through uh gideon's eyes and uh yeah i don't know i i don't really know what else to say about it other than it is bananas yeah and the, the tone of it like you you mentioned it's funny and one of the ways that it's funny that i really appreciate it is gideon herself she is in this ridiculous science fiction uh, situation where they're like dressed like skeletons and they're, they're like, they're the goth house. Basically they're supposed yeah. to be painted white and black and, and be super they're creepy. They're the goth house of nine necromancers. Yeah, they're, 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 seriously, like that's how serious <laughs> they're the they take it. They're, they're the, the weirdest. Yeah. But, but um, she, so she's not supposed to speak. So there's this long period where she doesn't talk to anybody but Harrow, uh, which is funny because she is a basically like a super snarky teenager. Mm -hmm. And when she does get a chance to speak, there are several laugh out loud moments where she says something and everybody else is like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't expect you to sound like that. You're the cavalier of the ninth house. You're supposed to. And, and, uh, and since she's, uh, basically the narrator um the the tone of the novel is like that too where it is not ponderous and serious it's super kind of like snarky and modern and offhanded in many ways that kind of take very, you very, by surprise we should add very very profane too like yes. very, there's yeah. a lot of the, the irreverence quotient is very high yeah. gideon is not someone who really believes in any of this right. and she is very vocal about that yeah fact. she's an accidental she and and honestly and harrow are are not supposed to be there and have not been trained for this and are bad at it and, 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 they, the and they hate each other too. and they hate each other <laughs> yep yep yeah the uh the irreverence i think comes out not just in what gideon's saying but like just the way the entire book is written and this one the only things i highlighted were lines that just sort of made me laugh because of the way they describe things so like when she breathed it sounded like custard sloshing around in air conditioner or <laughs> the scrumpled up piece of flimsy that had bewildered her for so long he unscrumpled it like the word unscrumple yeah. 
dish delights me. Or uh, uh, Gideon's skin had already been crawling, but now it was trying to sprint. <laughs> Those are <laughs> like, just great lines. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, they, they say in, in sports a lot of times, like, ah, oh, you know, they left it all out on the field, right? Like you played your hardest. Mm-hmm. Tamsin Weir puts this all out. She left it all on the page, right? Like yep. there is, yep. you get the feeling that she just really poured it out here and like, there is no thought or no idiom that she was like, I can, I can make a way to like make a way that that fits in somewhere. And it really is just, I found it uh, prose wise, just one of the most delightful things I've mm. read because it's so weird. And, and yet it works. The, um, the, the creepy house that you talked about, they, they go to a planet that's got a castle basically that seems to have been there for millions of years, thousands of years at least. Um, and it's it's kind of falling apart, but parts of it are livable. And there's like creepy underneath like dungeon areas where there's stuff. And it's is it haunted? It's it's very strange. Uh, the line, the one line that I highlighted in this is um, there were metal ladders going down into the pit. But why would you, though? Uh, which is just <laughs> like she's commenting on her own description. I loved it. Um, I will say um i found the first couple of chapters really hard to get into i think she tries to download a lot of concepts about it and uh, and i didn't know what kind of book i was reading and i i I was uh, this unlike i think the other books here this one i was really um worried that about what i was getting into and then there comes a moment where it uh it just like two chapters in, three chapters in, it just totally flips. And I was like, oh, I get it. And then I was then I was fine because it starts out as sort of like, you know, meet Gideon and she's very sad and she's trying to escape and the escape thing fails and, and you're meeting all these characters and it's very hard. But then, you know, then the plot kicks into gear and it doesn't matter anymore. And then it carries me away. I will agree that the first cha- couple chapters are a little bit on the slower side. There is a lot here, right? Like, you know, you open this book and the first thing is like there's page, several pages of dramatis personae, like who all the necromancers are and who all I their cavaliers are. I had to refer to that over I did constantly, and yeah. over yes. again. <laughs> and it was easy. I was reading it in, in hardcover, actually, which I thought was much better because in my experience, like one it gave you the the package kind of presents like they did a really nice job with the physical book all the pages are black edged so it looks like this black brick when you pick it up which is really fits the the tone Mm -hmm. of the book and the cover image is just hilarious when you look at it and you're like this is weird but it it kind of does describe exactly what's going on inside and just being able to easily flip back and forth between like the list of characters and what was going on helped me enormously but i will agree it does it ramps up a lot and once it does it does not stop see when i'm one of those people who sees the the list of characters and says nope book you're gonna have to convince me i'm not i'm not using your reference material you're gonna have to tell your story straight up with your words and i got there i got there i you know i kind of never did in terms of who was whom and the names and i don't know if it was just that 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 the types of names that she chose didn't resonate with my brain at all because it even at the end, the some of the the characters from the houses that didn't appear quite so often, uh, I just felt they they weren't quite fleshed out enough for me to actually remember who was whom. Uh, and even when I kind of got an idea, okay, the second house is this house, and the third house is is that house, I couldn't remember the names. And sometimes she would refer to a character by just the their house, first yeah. name or just their last name, and it wasn't consistent. So sometimes I'd be like, oh, this is a different character. Who's this? And I go back and be like, oh no, it's the same character. 
character. She's just now using a different name for her. So I never actually, even by the end of the book, I never got over my confusion about all of that. So mm. I was I was glad that my Kobo allows me to very quickly just like, you know, tap it and jump back to the bookmarked page that has all of their names on it and then tap it and go back to where I was reading. But uh, it was still kind of annoying to me to have to flip back and forth that often. It was so hyped, um, especially like my queer friends were like, this book is amazing that I was really worried about reading it. And I loved it. it it's it's <laughs> really, really, really good um, for kind of all of the reasons that have already been stated. It's irreverent. It's another one that's really well written and is easy to read once you kind of figure out what's going on in the universe. Um, I, I'm not completely sure I'm totally aware of what's happening in the universe, but, you know, <laughs> more than when I started. And um it was it was just it was delightful. I liked Gideon. I liked her. Uh, uh, what's her name? Because it's yeah, I like tarot. Um, I, I just can't um, I can't recommend it highly enough. I've also heard I actually read this one, um, but I uh, I have heard that the audiobook is also amazing. So I'm probably going to pick that up and listen to it um, and listen to the sequel, too. But, yeah, I, I, I really, really liked it. And there was there was enough going on that I felt like it was it was engaging, but it wasn't. It wasn't action at the expense of characters. And I think it was just such a good balance between things happening and getting to know the characters versus some other books um, that we've read where I felt like, you know, it was kind of heavy one way or the other. So I really I enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really well done. I really liked the the sort of solving the the puzzle solving the mystery mm, yeah. aspect of it yeah um, i because I, I i i also agreed with jason that the beginning was i was kind of like okay it's going to be one of these books where i have no idea what's going on and i don't really care because i hit i can't say that i actually came to to like the main characters all that much i liked reading about them but i didn't like them um but i really liked watching them go from like you know part of this castle to other part of this castle and discover hidden rooms and try to figure out tests and stuff like that that kind of thing will will always get me and i thought it was really well executed and you know the murder mystery part of it i had no idea who was doing what and i didn't care because it just like the plot just kept thickening and it i, I just really enjoyed the the journey that it brought me on like once i finished it i was like is the next book out yet i need to read it um and it's not but it will be soon i did pre-order the next book which will tell you that i you know i did like it and think i want to read the next one i will say i'm kind of got mixed feelings about the the kind of plot uh, aspect of it i like the whodunit part of it but what i didn't like so much is it's like the battle royale like video game aspect of it where it's like there are there are 10 houses only one will win here is your challenge and it's a room with a puzzle and then there's another challenge it's a room with a puzzle and those parts like i don't i don't know i it, it is not my favorite thing to read a novel where the characters seem to be playing levels in a video game. And I got that at several points in this and it was my least favorite part of it that it felt. I really, en mm, I really I enjoyed that. a big part of that because as someone who, you know, like solving puzzles recreationally and has gone to like puzzle competitions, it felt very much like that, except much more lethal. Mm. Um, and I liked that. And I liked the dynamic of 
do we are we competing are we working together mm-hmm. we're not really sure right and we have to kind of figure that out and that provided an interesting wrinkle um and I enjoyed the murder mystery thing because it's like a locked room mystery, but it's on a planet. It's less about a video game because the characters don't necessarily know that they're competing against each other or if they're competing against each other. They're, they're figuring they're all of the yeah, characters in the video game are figuring it out. Oh, so I enjoyed it. I should say that first off. And now I'm going to say a bunch of negative things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> the I think that the it, it was not a problem with the book, but a problem with the marketing and expectations. Uh, so it was hardcore marketed as lesbian necromancers in space, which is you know they they are in fact lesbian necromancers in space so you know that is accurate they're only kind of in space they're, yeah they're on a planet we're all in space if yeah. they're in space well, all, yeah. every planet is on space that's fine eh. that was not my problem with it but sure <laughs> <laughs> And it was also kind of marketed as, whoa, this is like uh, the the wackiest, most unique book you'll ever read. You've never read anything like this. Uh, you've not seen anything. And and I went through, and this is I'm going to uh, get annoying uh, with my English degree. I went through a period of time when I was an undergrad where I read a lot of po- American postmodernism uh, novels, which are like banana pants uh they play all kinds of games they they you don't even know what you're reading half of the time uh so that's when i read something like that i think oh i'm gonna get some kind of you know unique uh thing that's gonna you know shatter the narrative construct or something uh and that's not what this book does no. i don't think it was supposed to do that no um but it kind of the 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 expectation was built up and maybe that was just my interpretation of what people were saying which could be uh what i found this to be was a very entertaining pastiche of many things that i like so uh i enjoyed it but uh it wasn't like this unique you know, gem of a novel that uh, I had never experienced before. Um, but I, I I also will read the next one because I thought it was fun. So yeah. I would recommend other people read it. Uh, and it's certainly not one of those books that's going to um, remind you of our current circumstances. So if you need <laughs> to get your mind off of <laughs> no. what's happening in the world, uh, pick up this book because uh, it will completely absorb you. And uh, chances are you're probably not, not a necromancer. Scott so, is uh, cutting through the hype right here. That's it. <laughs> That's why Scott's here. Cut through well, that hype. I'm just saying it, they painted a, uh, they, they set me up for an expectation that the book did not meet, which is not the book's fault. I don't think, because I don't think that's what the author was trying to go for, but uh, I was just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> My tactic is not to pay attention to any anything about it. Like right. I don't read summaries. I don't I'll I'll read if someone's like, I liked this book, I'll stop reading whatever they wrote beyond that because right. I don't want to know. Um I do that with TV, I do that with books, and I feel like Scott, you just justified that <laughs> uh-huh. trait that I have. So thank you very much. Yeah, I read I read nec- uh I also saw the lesbian necromancers in space thing and I was like, uh I don't really Really like necromancy type stuff like that part doesn't and somebody said something like skeletons and I was like I don't care about skeletons either I was excited about like the lesbians in space and then the book didn't have any space, no space. really except like there's one trip there's a on little. a ship a and, uh, and you know so at least I got some lesbians which was great yeah, but... and then it had all these it had all these other things which were amazing and I was like I wish you guys would have pointed that out in yeah. the ads I would have read it a heck I agree. of a lot sooner I, I, I was also let down by that by that phrase because although it's sort of technically true it's not what the book it's not what i took away yeah. from the book yeah no. i mean uh, you know that didn't it didn't bother me as much but i mean i don't know that i would have read this if it were not on the 
nominee list. Like I had seen it around. Yeah. I'd seen it get mentioned a bunch. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's my thing or not. Right. Like and and none of the stuff I think like you guys, like the the, the way it was being sold was not something that ne- necessarily attracted me to it. Um, and I think it was kind of despite all that. And, you know, I saw a lot of people rave about it. And I always kind of take that with, you know, a grain of salt because, you know, lots of people like things I don't like or lots of people are just very enthused about things. And it's like, I don't know if that's something for me. Uh, but, yeah, having read it, I was I think I was in part largely delighted because it was so unlike what I expected. Like, I didn't really know what I was going to get out of this going in. And I kind of expected like it was, might be. Uh, something that was a little too too as it were mm-hmm. <laughs> but i it ended up just really i just got wrapped up in it i totally devoured it and i could not it's, it had been a long time since i sat down and read like 100 pages in a sitting and i definitely did that with this book yep. mm-hmm. yeah I, w- I will finish with the other two things that i highlighted i said uh the uh, highlighted the violet of her eyes was dried up flowers her mouth was the color and softness of rocks which i liked that <laughs> and then possibly just my favorite single sentence in the entire book was things were happening too much <laughs> I can feel that. I know that feeling. Yes. The only line I remembered from this book that I really loved, and I will have to uh, bleep it because it has profanity, is comes at a particularly climactic moment where Gideon says, "We do bones." bleepily bleeper <laughs> and i just it, it's delivered in a perfect moment for me that really ah, i just totally landed all right that's gideon the ninth let's move on to everybody's favorite by which i mean only two of us read it mark of cain <laughs> by charles egan and this is the fifth book in the what? adventures of cain reardon <laughs> the most uh awesome reluctant warrior hero slash genius you will ever find in the intergalactic world of the Terran Republic. Um, the first three books, I think, in this series were nominated for something or other. Uh, mm-hmm. The fourth book was not. This is book mm-hmm. five. I read book four just so I could get to book five. <laughs> you fool. I see why they didn't nominate book four. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> this is book five. Scott, tell me about Mark of Cain. It is terrible. <laughs> it's be- I, Okay, I'm going to amend that. I disagree with you, Scott. I would say it's not great, but so much better than book four. Like, so much better than book four. Uh, well, I'm glad I didn't read book four then. Because wow. <laughs> I did not enjoy book five. Uh, and, I mean, I will give him this. Uh, well, I'll give him a couple things. Uh, people seem to like this series, so he's doing something right. Yeah. Um, uh, he... There's sometimes when you have these long running uh, series and uh, it is almost impossible to pick up a book in the middle of it. Uh, that is not really a problem with this because he, he spends a lot of time recapping what has happened in book yes. four, uh, which is good because I didn't read book four. Right. But bad if you did read book four because now you're, you're reliving read book, book four, four again. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I appreciated that. Uh, but the story, so Kane Reardon is great at everything. Uh-huh. He's um, so honorable, such a reluctant warrior, but honorable is, and very he smart. Was, uh, you know, he's he, awesome. He, he, turns out he has a teenage son uh, uh-huh. who didn't know about Turns out he's also the best father ever, uh, and his teenage son loves him to death and is uh, sad that uh, he never could experience being raised by Kane Reardon except for now, and they have to hide on an island because of reasons, And but uh, Kane Reardon is so awesome that he needs to come back and uh, find his... Uh, 
his uh, lover who has been taken away by these aliens uh, who are the, what are they, Dornar? I don't know how to say that. The Dornani, something like that? I'm probably yep, saying the that. Yep, Dornani. The, the Dornani, um, which saying it out loud sounds ridiculous. <laughs> ah, the uh, Dornani. <laughs> uh, so they're super advanced. Uh, and so they have her on ice because there is something horrible happened to her in book four and they're going to theoretically fix her, uh, but they've lost her. <laughs> so Kane Reardon has to go and find Ada her. when that happens. Um, mm. And so, but he spends a whole lot of time. So if you don't really care about the Dornani, uh, don't read this book no. because there are chapters and chapters that, that's, and chapters. That's what the book is. This book, uh, Scott, you you and I emailed about this after we both read it because I was shocked mm-hmm. that you read it and you said, this is the book in which Kane Reardon talks to aliens a lot. Yes, and a lot. That is, sit down. It's mostly Dornani, various Dornani. We learn all yes. about their culture and their history and the, and their weirdos and their non-weirdos and their weirder weirdos. And they, they got a lot of weirdos. And, and the problem here is that there, I have read four of these books and in the first well that is one problem another problem is uh the first three they they are kind of pivotal uh characters and and a race that is built up to be like this amazingly awesome far advanced race right and in this book we get an interesting kind of wrinkle on that in that they're not really that advanced they're basically living on like the the crumbs of uh, even more advanced civilizations which is kind of interesting um but the problem I have is that in every problem they turn to Kane Reardon to solve yes. for them. Well, it's because he's I'm awesome. Like, Come on, <laughs> yeah, he's not that awesome. Yeah. yeah, So this is this is very much he goes from place to place. Kane Reardon goes from place to place to place to find the solution that will get his his son's mother uh, back from her near death experience because they've misplaced her body or something. And yeah. um, yeah, like the reason that I I. I found it passable is that one, the contrast with book four, which is terrible. Um, and two, I think, I think Charles Gannon is really good at world building and like some of the buttons he's pushing here are, uh, they're, they're things I like. Like I like ancient civilizations and in, in, in space that are, you know, old races that have passed, but their technology remains behind. Like there's a lot of this stuff that's kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. Jack McDevitt does some of the same thing. The problem with Gannon is that he's so enamored with Kane Reardon. And I would say he, you know, there just aren't any interesting characters in most of his books. People, they don't really feel like people. They're just sort of there to push the story along. And Kane is awesome. And look at all of, <laughs> and, and this book in particular feels like a download of all of the backstory he wrote up about this wrote, one particular yeah. race that he wants to get out. And so he builds a little story structure around it and then of course my favorite part scott is that it has no ending it literally <laughs> you get to the end and mm-hmm. they still have to find the find the the mother of his son and uh they really haven't like nothing is solved it just ends it just ends it's very uh, uh, and i am someone i know jason i don't want to speak for you but uh, i think you have got on record as saying you don't enjoy military science fiction all that much i i don't think that's entirely true there is military stuff that i like i i don't like and this is why i hated book four i i find that if you don't have interesting characters and all you're left with is sort of detailing all the specifications of made-up sci-fi weapons like how you load them <laughs> how you fire them what 
you know, what material goes into the bullets that are in your sci-fi gun, then I, you've lost me because that's, <laughs> I know that that people really, some people really like that, but if that's mm-hmm. all there is, is te- made up tech details about future fake military stuff, it doesn't, that, that I'm just completely leaves me cold. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I generally like military science fiction, um, and I did not like this book. And yeah. I didn't I don't think it's very good military science fiction. So even if, you know, if you're one of those people who doesn't like military science fiction, that might be, you know, this is not a, a fine example that will sway you to the cause of that genre. Um and I, I don't really think anyone should read it. No. No. I I agree. I, but we I'm did glad I didn't. We did. <laughs> We did, and and it was nominated for a Nebula. So good job. Yeah, Charles I mean, e. obviously Cannon. he has he has a a following. These things keep getting nominated. I've never really loved them. The first couple I thought were okay, and again, in contrast to Book Four, which was a real um, downer, I thought this was okay. But I would not, you know, I I read two uh, Jack McDevitt books in, in the last year that I liked way more than this and he gets occasionally nominated but it's like i would never read this book and think oh yeah this is totally an award nominee it just doesn't make any sense to me but he's obviously got his following and i don't understand why um okay let's move on to aline helping me talk about gods of jade and shadow by sylvia moreno garcia aline you want to talk about this a little bit Picture it, the late 1920s, Mexico, Um, a girl, young woman, um, I don't think we know her age, but I would say late teens, early 20s, um, who is working in her in her grandfather's house, kind of the unfavored grandchild who is uh, treated as a servant, um, finds something in her grandfather's room that sets her upon a quest with a, I think a Mayan God. And it's, it's kind of Jason, I think I saw you describe it as um, like American gods, but Mexico but with Mexican, <laughs> yeah, Mexican um, um, mythology. That, I mean, it, it's facile, but I think like if you, if you said, imagine American gods, but it's Mexican gods, that's kind of what it is. Like it's more than that, but that's it is it is kind of light touch, but it's these figures that are that are at least based on kind of the the uh the historic mythology and they live in an underworld and she's trying to kind of like channel these legendary stories but put in the world. It's not it, you know, it's not quite the same as something like American Gods, but it's that that I immediately was like, "Oh, it's one of these." Right? Like this is great. And yeah. it, and it, and it's fun, but it 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 reminded me of American Gods a lot. And I liked American Gods a lot. Yeah, and I think that this is my theme of this episode is easier. I think this is easier to read than American Mm. Gods. It's less dense. Um, It's more um, streamlined where American Gods, I think, meanders quite a bit. Yes, this is is much more straightforward in in terms of the story. It it always is moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's like there's there's it's a it's a fetch quest, right? (laughs) It's it's, uh, you know, it's if you've played any kind of of like if you played World of Warcraft or a lot of video games where you're looking for a thing for um, a non-player character, it's like that. They go from one place to another, literally looking for things for this god. And so it has this very it's 
it's it just progresses. Mm -hmm. And I really, really enjoyed it. I thought I thought the writing was spot on. Um, I really enjoyed I don't know a lot about um, Mexican mythology or Mayan mythology or Incan mythology. Like it's not something that I'm super aware of. So it was really nice to get um, to get that. And she also ties in some Greek mythology and makes some parallels mm. for those of us who are, um, more familiar with, um, you know, Persephone and Hades and that mm. kind of thing. Um, so I, I thought it was excellent. I think it's actually, I mean, spoiler, I think it's my favorite book of mm. the ones that we read because it just, it, it was, it was a, a sweet little story, kind <laughs> of, um, but also <laughs> terrifying. Um, and it, it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think some of the things that were my favorite bits about it are things that I don't really want to say because I don't want to spoil it. But the, uh, to, to talk around it, I'll just say like the, the development of the main character character and the relationship such as it is between her and the god that she's traveling along with uh, really kind of delighted me. I just I thought she was a very strong central figure with a very strong perspective on the world and kind of uh, didn't take as much crap as I thought that maybe she would have mm-hmm. based on where she starts the book out. Um, and I read this. We haven't yet talked about A Memory Called Empire, but I read this immediately after that. And it was a completely different yeah. reading experience. And I loved I loved both of them. But this felt just like breezy and easy and yes. like i would just pick it up and i would just like whoosh you could read it on a beach in mexico several chapters yeah, yeah like it just and and sometimes when people say oh it was it was breezy it was such an easy read that's like a put down and i absolutely do not mean that as a put down at all to me that's a it's a put up because yeah. i i enjoyed the fact that it was it was a good entertaining story with characters that i wanted to read about that also was very easy for me to access and read and get through and i think like that's the trifecta there put them all together so the the main character she is traveling with this essentially deposed dethroned god who's trying to get his throne back and they have a symbiotic relationship in a lot of different ways literally in some ways and there's an interesting give and take there where clearly because as they're traveling um and also because of a mechanism that's in the book that we'll leave to the reader um, they are influencing each other. Like the more they travel, the more they're seeing sort of the aspects of the other side. The human sees sees more of the the human side of the god, and the god sees more of the godlike side of the human. Um, and then there's a parallel story that kind of bobs in and out, which is her mean cousin, who's about the same age, and uh, and the god's brother who has deposed him. And they're kind of working together to oppose them. And so you've got these matched pairs. And there is a moment that I really love where the, the, the main character hears the story about why the god's brother um, tricked him and threw him out of the underworld and deposed him and took over. And he points out what I've been thinking all along. And it's a great moment, which is, you know, they have way more in common with each other because she has this awful cousin and uh, who mistreats her and wouldn't it be great if you could get out from under him 
And that's literally what this god of the underworld did is got his awful brother out and and then he gets to rule. And it's a it's it's not quite a uh, we're not so different, you and I kind of moment, <laughs> but it is kind of. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really it's very enjoyable in the places they go. There's always, you know, you're going to go to this city. There's going to be an interesting character and there's going to be a thing you have to do. Uh, and then you got to go to this other city and do this other thing. And um, and then there's a final kind of the escalation, which is the last place you got to go is, of course, to the underworld. And what is what is that about? So, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in here. And I also really appreciate the era that um, that Moreno Garcia chose for the book. You know, it's it's the late 20s and, you know, kind of flopper style is yep. um, is really coming into vogue in in Mexico. And um, short she hair. cut her hair. Oh, my gosh. Short hair is awful. <laughs> yeah. And like like all of this, this stuff, I think, really added another really enjoyable layer to it, because, I mean, it really is. <sighs> It's a coming of age novel in a lot of ways, right? It's um, she's doing things that she had always kind of dreamed of doing, not in a way that she expected. Who expects a god to um, form a symbiotic relationship with you? But, uh, you know, it's just like you you get to see the her metamorphosis and her grappling with all of these things, which is I think is anybody who's been through puberty can relate to this, like um, reconciling your dreams with what actually happens. And are you making the right choices Um, and having maybe a couple of adventures that are potentially ill-advised but you know it all works out in the end you know it's interesting that you point out that it's a coming-of-age story because now that you say that i can see yeah it is however like i i usually hate coming-of-age stories like a lot and for some reason this one did not rub me the wrong way and i'm gonna have to think a little bit about why that was the case maybe just because this character isn't as is is ridiculous and foolish as a lot of characters and coming-of-age stories are i'm not sure well, and I think um, for me, because I, I am also in the same boat where it's like you're screaming. I don't know. I scream at the book and I'm like, why are you doing this thing? It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, and the answer is the plot and the story. And it's a teenager and, you know, teenagers right. do silly things. But um, I, I think that it's kind of softened by the fact that that is that isn't necessarily the point of the book. It's a side effect of the adventure. I really wanted to like it a lot more than I did. Um, <gasps> no, I'm sorry. just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, I went, I was very excited because I love the idea of like, I like the 1920s, 1930s era. I like, that's great. I think uh, I love mythology and mythology crossing over. I was in the Yucatan a couple of years ago. I like spent some time traveling around and like, I learned a lot about the mythology and the culture and stuff. So I was like really excited to go in and something about this just didn't, it didn't work for me. And I'm not sure what it was. Like, I always felt like I was a little bit too removed from the action or the characters and it just felt very remote to me a lot of the time like I just could not I couldn't get into the story as much so I yeah I don't I don't know why it didn't work for me I'm glad that it worked for other people and I didn't dislike it I just never felt myself like oh yeah I really want to keep going and turn the page and and reading more of this story 
Um, and maybe some of it was I just was checking because, you know, <laughs> you were talking about reading it right after A Memory Called Empire. I read it right after uh, uh, Gideon the Ninth, and it's very different books. So part of it may have been influenced just by, like, coming off a very frenetic book to a book that is definitely, like, a little more languorous, I want to feel like. Like, there's just, it's more relaxed as the narrative goes. Um, and so I, I thought it was well-written. I just didn't, it didn't grab me. And, and I'm, I'm sorry because I was really looking forward to it. Um, and because, because we're always shelved next to each other. <laughs> so it was fun, that easy. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it was, it was good. It just wasn't, it wasn't great for me. I read, uh, her first book, which was Signal to Noise, which is about, um, uh, it's set in Mexico City in like the 80s, the first part, and it's all about kind of making mixtapes and they wish the main character realizes she can cast magic uh, by using music. And then it fast forwards to 2008, I think, and all kinds of things. happen. I enjoyed that greatly. Uh, I liked this book even more. Uh, I think that uh, she's a really good writer. I enjoyed uh, this is one of those settings that I don't know much about uh, both the 1920s or Mexico or the culture. Um, so it was, it was fun to learn about it. Um, or this version of it, at least I don't know, uh, if it is accurate. Um, so I, I won't say it is, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and, and it, yes, I thought that this was easy to read in a way it pulled me through it. So, um, I guess worked for me better than it worked for Dan, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I liked it and I like being exposed to, uh, these ideas and these other kind of cultural the bits of mythology and, and how she refers to them. There's a nice moment too, where pointing out that all the Americans come across the border because of, uh, uh, prohibition so mm-hmm. there uh th- that's another little funny aspect of the mexican perspective on american prohibition which is it's business is good in tijuana basically mm. <laughs> um so and then it ends in a really in a, in a creepy hotel in baja which i thought was cool i yes, enjoyed that I like that hotel mm-hmm. yeah that's that's great i wouldn't want to stay there though you can check out <laughs> no. anytime you like dan but you can never leave except <laughs> unless you go to hell so uh be careful <laughs> If you yeah, go, you there. go to hell, Dan. Yeah, go to hell, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, bring a water bottle. That's from the book. Uh, okay, let's move on and talk about. Uh, we have two more books to go. Uh, I don't have help for these, I guess. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in. Mm-hmm. Alex Harrow wrote uh, the Ten Thousand Doors of January. I tried to explain this book uh, to some people and had a hard time because it's kind of a it pivots in a bunch of different ways. Um, this is a story about a girl who is being raised in a mansion. Her father kind of disappears for long stretches. You get the distinct impression that he's kind of Indiana Jones. Um, but so she's getting uh, raised in this in this mansion with this kind of distant uh fellow mr Locke, who who is her you know she's her, his ward or something but basically there's remove between them um and then she finds a book um and the book is a story about other worlds that you can travel through 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 secret doors um and then one of the delightful things in this book is that there are two sets of chapters that are numbered separate from each other. So you're reading along with chapter two and then it's like one 
You're like, what? And it's mm-hmm. the book. And then you read the book and the book is the other narrative of the story because the book is told by, we will find out another character in the book. And this is, this is a different story about somebody traveling through those doors from world to world to world. Um, and, and that alone, it, it's like, it felt like a really kind of classic setup to me. It's like a girl who discovers that the, that there's more to the story and there's more, uh, that the world is bigger than she thinks. Um, but then there, there, you know, there are twists and turns and she, she's kind of out on her own and she has to find it out. Um, but it's the other book is a, an adventure and a romance involving, uh, this guy, um, who is traveling through the doors, uh, and and a and a woman who finds a door, and they they meet each other, kind of like it's on on the bordering her property where she grows up. There's this old kind of shack, and the door opens, and they meet there, and then the door is closed, and they ha- are trying to find each other, um, and. I don't know if I want to spoil it, but they're all connected. But but all these stories are connected. It turns out, Um, and her father is kind of like Indiana Jones, traveling the world trying to look for these doors, and it all kind of interlocks. And they're they're sort of bad guys who are trying to close the doors because they like it. They like things the way they are, Uh, and and we don't need any of these other worlds uh we'll just close <laughs> those bring change yeah. well and they're pillaging first right yes, like they're they steal going artifacts they're, they, yeah, yeah they're sending people through like the doors indiana, like indiana jones yeah. 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 like indiana jones <laughs> but they don't like chaos they like predictability and they like stability so it's a yeah. it's a Stagnation. portal door kind of fantasy but also it's set in in uh like what 1900 or early 1900 so it's like uh, our previous book kind of a period story so it feels a little more classic but it's also got these other worlds that are very different it's a it is a, a a romance. It is a coming of age story. Um, it is. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, it, it's very hard to describe it. I loved it. It's really great. It's charming. The two stories intersect in ways that I. I want to say I suspected a little bit that they were going to intersect, but it's delightful to discover exactly how they intersect. And the great thing about it uh, is sometimes you think, I think these stories are going to intersect and um, it's the, it's the end of the book when that happens. And I was so relieved to have the stories intersect and still have time in the book for the ramifications of what you've read in the two, in the two stories to come together and then have kind of like the plot resolve itself a little bit more after that. So I, you know, I don't know. It's it's a book about going through doors to other worlds and secret legacy that this girl discovers in this house that she's this weird house that she's been raised in. And a bunch of people are really mean to her dog, but the dog survives and is fine. Um, and yeah, it's great. Don't, don't worry about the dog. It'll be okay. <laughs> I had a moment where I was like, if this dog dies, I am out. <laughs> okay. I am not finishing this book, but he's, he's okay. He's okay. He's a, he's a good boy. I really like this book, too. I, I thought it was it really captured something about the both the period it's set in um, and that sort of fantastical world portal fiction type thing. Like, you know, I feel like sometimes portal that that gets very codified into feeling like a specific type of book. You know, people try to evoke something like, you know, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or something like that. And this is different there's mm-hmm. so much more going on with all these different worlds and i love some of the backstory of the um again trying to avoid without spoiling too much but like that the secondary book and some of the stories about that especially as the narrator of that book tries to track down um the woman that he has met 
and just the stories that come up about them. I, I thought that was extremely well done. Uh, if there was anything critiquing I would say about this is like there one, like Jason, I, I felt pretty confident where I saw that was going um, and it didn't ruin anything for me. And I was, I agree. There's like a relief to like when it's like, all right, that is what I thought was happening here. I'm glad that that has been resolved. The one thing that I did not, that, that frustrated me a little bit was like, there is a character who again is very clearly evil to me. <laughs> and it feels yeah. like the narrator does not pick up on that for a long time. And I'm like, all the clues are here. This person is clearly bad. It's basically the bad guy in Up is how I sort of thought of him in my mind. Yeah, it's like, kinda. oh no, he's an yeah. old man who knows, he knows some bad people, but I'm sure he's fine. It's like, honey, <sighs> no, I don't no. think he's treating he's really you very bad. well. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think you should be looking no, to this person I'm sure he's as fine. Yeah. He's not. No. But I understand why the dynamic of that is there. And like, there is a certain, uh, not complicity, but like, you know, she has been uh, raised in a specific way and that has encouraged her to think of people. And there, there's also a whole dynamic in here of race as well that comes into play, especially in yes. this time period and how that influences the way not only she sees herself, but how she sees herself in relation to other people. Right. And like that's kind of part of the narrative as well. And as that unfolds and you learn more about that, it's also increasingly interesting in that sort of power dynamic mm -hmm. um and i love that some of the things the, the best thing in this for me is a, the magic good magic in any book has a price and in this one the way that she ends up sort of like harnessing that is it adds a, a darker aspect to it i, I don't want to say too much mention that she she has the ability to do magic by writing things down but that also that like books yes, magic books they're like, writing things down yeah yeah, yeah. anyway so this is a, it's a writer's book too that's that's the other thing <laughs> yep. you guys remember way back when dan was talking about uh the gods of jade and shadow me too yeah um I, can we just like replay all of that like th this is a book that i should love and that i really wanted to i mean i am a sucker for portal fantasy i love portal fantasies more than probably any other kind of book and this is a portal fantasy with multiple portals it's got a young girl who's discovering discovering things she's learning that she can do magic like these are tropes i love there's romance there's 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 stuff about you know like you mentioned it kind of an uh, examination of race and, and privilege and class and colonization and like all of these things are, are things that I like and you mix them together and you get something that just didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I feel like for me, part of it is the period that it's set in. Uh, I don't necessarily care for the early 1900s in terms of like just books that I've read. Maybe it's because I hated my American literature classes so <laughs> deeply when I was in school. Um, but also, like I've I've heard this uh, this book r referred to as uh, as lyrical, and I think that the prose I I found it very off putting in that it it fits the time period it's it's a little bit it's a little bit stilted it's a little bit too lyrical for me and it felt like something that would kind of make sense coming out of the 1900s um you know not entirely because it, it's it's certainly accessible to readers of today but I, I i found it difficult to read i found myself having to go back and reread paragraphs and sentences hmm. just to be like did did that mean what i thought that that meant and uh 
for almost every other book that we have talked about, I would find myself at work, you know, suddenly thinking, oh, I want to go home and read this book or that book. And I never had that feeling about this one. It wow. was like, oh, right. I, I've got to read again for the podcast and I need to, to finish this book. So I, I will still say, like, I think it's a good book. Like it's it's doing the things that it sets out to do. But it's it's like a fruit salad that's made up of like all pieces of, of different Whoa. kinds of fruits that I like. Wow. But fruit salad metaphor. Are out. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they just don't work together for mm. me, I guess. I find calling something a fruit salad the highest insult. But anyway, <laughs> oh, no. you, may, you may be doing I just don't like fruit salad. Erica, we are on the same page. I wanted to like it. I didn't like it. And I've been sitting here trying to figure out if it's because is this a coming of age story that I don't like because yeah. it's a coming of age story? Maybe or is there that. something else going on? What but exactly is just, wrong with it? I don't know. It's, it's fruit just salad. it's fruit salad, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> It's better than word salad, I'll tell you that. It's true. It just didn't Hmm. click for me. And like Erica, I feel like there's so many elements that should work for me and it just didn't gel. And I don't know why. There's a lot of descriptions of smells and maybe that and I, I think like I can understand like it, it became a thing. There were lots and lots of them. And maybe I don't like descriptions of smells because every time that happened, it was kind of like a like a splinter in my mind. Like, oh, here we are again. Remind talking you about of fruit sniffing. salad? Smell like a fruit salad? Maybe? <laughs> yeah. Smells like fruit sniff. salad. I don't want to That's sniff my favorite fruit Nirvana salad. song. <laughs> Scott, help me out here. I don't like fruit salad. Uh, but I did like this book, so I don't know what that means, but, um, I enjoyed it probably because it was, um, trying to mimic, uh, the, the style a little bit of the 1900s. And I thought it did, it was an interesting twist on a story that's been told a lot. Um, and so I enjoyed those two aspects of it. I felt like it was kind of a a grown up version of Every Heart a Doorway, in, in some ways, like taking the idea of a portal fantasy and exploding it out into a, a sort of a different thing. Mm-hmm. But whereas Every Heart a Doorway uh, was something that just sang to me, this this was silent. You know what? Some books don't work for some people. I didn't yeah. like the Gods of Jade and Shadow as much as you yep. guys did. I, I get yeah, it. What? I get it. Totally so get it's, it. So it's, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is um, the... The Shauna McGuire, Every Heart of Doorway, is kind of directly taking on the, you know, kids go to other realms mm-hmm. story. And this is not directly taking it on. It's it's a really roundabout way where you have to go up a mountain, build a boat, open a door, <laughs> push the boat through. It's a long way to go to get that boat in that lake. Um, but... Uh, all right, well, uh, split split decision there, but that's fine. Uh, let's move on to our last book. We've reached the last book, and again, randomly selected. Uh, I, I'd like to thank random.org for randomly selecting A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martine. Uh, thank you, random.org, because this was my favorite book of the year. Yeah, just hands down. Ooh. I love this book mm-hmm. so much. This is, uh, it reminds me of Anne Leckie a bit in, in mm-hmm. its ambition mm-hmm. it, in, in the way that it is about uh, is a space opera that is also about the concept of empire. It's right in the name and living in uh, what it's kind of about is about living on the fringes 
of an empire that's dominant. So the, our main character here, uh, Mahit, is uh, she's from like a space station that's on the periphery of this giant uh, Texcalan empire. And uh, so they're super influential. I kept thinking like, well, imagine you live uh, right across the border in Canada from the United States. Like <laughs> the United States is kind of hegemonic and uh, you can't just say, ah, who cares what they do? Because they're super powerful and you have to pay attention to what they do. It's 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 like that even more so. Um, and she is sent to, uh, to the home world of the uh, Texcalan Empire as an ambassador because the previous ambassador is going to be replaced. She arrives to discover that he is dead. Um, she's got a little implant in her head, which is basically a backup of the memories of all the previous ambassadors. The problem being that hers, uh, first the ambassador hadn't come back in years. So it's a really old backup, um, not up to date at all. And it malfunctions immediately. And therefore she's kind of stuck on her own without this, back up in her brain trying to navigate the kind of impossibly bizarre um, uh, culture of this empire where everybody not not the only book in this uh, in this uh, set of six where people are referred to by numbers by the way because Gideon mm -hmm. the ninth does the same thing mm -hmm. here everybody's got a like a number and a noun that are their names it's bizarre um, mm -hmm. she she discovers that there is a whole lot of plotting going on in this. Uh, she's got to try to figure out what her place is. She gets put in danger a lot. She's got friends that she makes who seem to be on her side, but they only have so much that they can do. There basically is a crisis of succession about who's going to be the emperor because the emperor is dying. Um, and, um, and, so there's just it's the it's somebody who's an outsider kind of trying to find her place in this empire that's super dominant while directly crit critiquing the concept of empires and the you know the damage that the empire does to everybody around it there she's literally she spends most of the book in the inner 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 sanctum of this empire where the perspective is severely warped after having been on the periphery outside the emperor uh, the empire which is where she came from so i i found it fascinating uh, on on so many different levels um i do think it's a slow build i i went through the first 50 75 pages thinking is this thing ever going to get going? And and what I found, unlike most books that I've read, I felt like it was a pretty linear acceleration. It just kept going faster. And then about two thirds of the way through, there's like an emergency, insane brain surgery that happens. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, book, you got me. You got me all the way now. Uh, because it just gets getting weirder and, and faster. And, and there's poisonings and there's um, there's riots and there's it just it goes to lots of very interesting places later on so yeah i uh loved it that's, that's i think it. it's important too it. to, to note that uh that mahit the main character has been sort of like a, a fan of this empire from mm, outside mm -hmm. ever since she was a little kid right but outside it's that it's that like right. oh i love uh, I love Texcalon <laughs> stuff. It's so awesome. Like she's, yeah, like like a fan too. It's not like just a like teenage, it, yeah. a teenage, teenage fangirl. Like yeah. picture, you know, posters on her wall of of artists from Texcalon. Yes, the poems because yes, they have many poems. A, a very big deal <laughs> here, but also like Jason mentions that she's got this like implant and the place that she comes from, that's a normal thing. Everybody just has those. That's how you preserve like the memory of their people. 
Nobody in this place that she's gone to in the Teixcalan Empire knows about that because it would be considered weird and illegal. Yeah. And so not only so not only does it malfunction and it, it, it sort of leaves her alone and floundering, but she can't actually tell anybody that right. she is alone and floundering. So not only is she faced with, you know, being being by herself and not knowing who she can trust that the big part of the book is right. is sort of making friends along the way and trying to determine whether these people are trustworthy and you know when is the moment that you decide somebody is trustworthy versus not um so it's there's there's just layers upon layers upon layers upon layers and then there's more layers, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 we're back on the same page, Jason, because okay. this was this was definitely my favorite book of the year too. Uh, I I sometimes when I read a book that has a bunch of made up language to describe an empire um it bothers me well it doesn't really necessarily bother me usually but it's just something that is like a a bit of a a roadblock or a hurdle that i have to get past in order to to read a book but for some reason the the language and the language stuff in this book delighted me i loved it i think my favorite new word is takes kalatan litzlim because like (laughs) that's the name of a person who is part of the takes kalan uh empire the adjectival form is takes kalan Lonely. Like uh-huh. takes Kalan Litzlim is like I would say it in my head every time I read it, and it just <laughs> made me happy. There's there's a uh, a post I'll put in the show notes um, that is about this book from Tor.com called "What's in a Text Kalanli Name?" that goes into the mm. details of uh, all the various numbers. Uh, uh, of the various people because you get three seagrass and and 12 azalea and five agate and they all have these different things um, five petrichor i like that one ten or pearl petrichor five it does point out um and they, they i think i think uh she makes a point that yes there has been a great debate about who one direction is <laughs> oh. i i liked their there i liked everyone's while once you get used to that and they poke fun at some of the people who because these names are chosen yes and there's one later mm-hmm. on with i can't remember what it is but it's like patent it's like 43 hovercraft yeah. or something yeah, and everybody's like and just, seriously what, what's wrong with you and i just like <laughs> i don't know why that's funny but it is yeah. funny yep <laughs> yeah so intrigue in space you think i like this book I like this book. It's really good. Uh, I enjoyed the heck out of it. It's got it's a lot of it's stuff a planet, that I Dan. love. It's not really in space, but okay. Yeah, the right, planet is in space. <laughs> she comes space. from a space station. She does come, from a space, does come from a space station. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed this. It, it's got, it, it, it scratches just the right itch for me. I really enjoy, like, there's sort of, again, there's sort of a murder mystery. Um, there's the intrigue of who can you trust, you can not trust, and sort of having to be diplomatic because she's the ambassador. She doesn't want to pick sides, but everything's kind of going to hell like there's a civil war brewing and who's going to be the next emperor and all this stuff and and i really love some of the weird and creepy stuff that that they talk about in terms of the empire like they've got the um what is the sunlit who are like the the cops essentially oh, yeah, sort and they're of. like a hive mind or something where they yeah, might be but exactly. they're not sure maybe no one knows yeah like that's weird <laughs> and kind of interesting i like that a lot i like you know you talked about the brain surgery where she has to go like way out of town and they're talking about like well this isn't this place is kind of oh yeah it's super it's like, super shady like where they go yeah, exactly they don't, they don't do l- brain implants in this empire right i love that it just feels very 
consistent with itself and very interesting and nuanced in its portrayal of like not everything is this cool shiny lit city where all the poems are so well constructed and everything <laughs> um and i love the relationship between mahit and three seagrass i just think that the two of them they play off each other so well oh yeah and she makes fun of mahit for being a barbarian and like not really knowing what's going on and of course she doesn't know what's going on because she has not got her brain implant and uh her her predecessor speaking in her ear oh, so and, and there's that yeah, moment where just, she so relies on three seagrass and then there's that party where she kind of like gets detached and she's wandering yeah. around and it's like it's weird but it's also like super dangerous because she's kind of off on her own and it's and it's kind of nerve-wracking what's going to happen and i think she kind of almost dies it's like not great like yeah it's it's uh, and she's always worried that like uh because her predecessor keeled over and died at one point after supposedly like eating some food that disagreed with him. He had an allergic reaction. She's like, right. She's constantly worried about eating things. Uh She's like, well, I got to eat. You know, (laughs) I just enjoy, I enjoy that. The slight paranoia edge, everything in there really, really worked well for me. And it is, it definitely keeps building and building to a point where like that, that, you know, finale is sort of like very edge of your seat, very tense. And I really enjoyed it. I, I don't even really know where our next book is going to go, but I'll read it. <laughs> oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, Jason mentioned uh, earlier talking about uh, getting the ninth list of, uh, of characters. This book has a glossary and <laughs> a pronunciation guide. Yep, which thank are God. Two Did, things didn't read those either. <laughs> I, I freaking love. I, I, I realized early on that there was a glossary uh, I thought to check. Thank goodness I did, so I could refer. I I very very rarely referred to it. At the end, I actually read the entire glossary to be like, did I completely oh, I understand what an, what an Azu Azu Catlim was? Yes, yes, I did. And, and also, yeah. uh, Dan, I figure I just found the uh, the name that was a joke that you were pointing out. It's a thirty six all terrain tundra vehicle. That was somebody's <laughs> name. So good, so weird, so good. I love. It. No, I went through the entire book. Not sure if it was. Texcalan, Texcalan, or if it was Texcalan or Texcalan, and I was like, I don't know, there's so many different ways to pronounce this, and every time I would come to that word, and you come to that word a lot, I would pronounce Mm -hmm. it a different way. I just looked up the, uh, the, uh, I did the audible preview until they said it, and I was like, okay, it's Texcalan, great. I just rolled with it. Yeah. (laughs) No, I only did that now. I didn't do that while I was reading the book. I was like, I don't know what it is, Texcalan. They're from Texas. They're from Texas. 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 (laughs) Texas. Don't mess with them. Hmm. I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about this one because I had the same experience, Jason, that you did. And I think we talked about this as I was reading it, where it was like at first wasn't so sure, kept reading, kept reading, kept reading. And at the same point where you were like completely on board, the brain surgery part, that's Mm -hmm. also where I was like, oh, okay, yeah, (laughs) this is good, I guess. Um, But I I never got to the point where you all are, where it's like, it's my favorite book. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it was I don't regret reading it, but I might read the sequel. I don't know. And I'm wondering if part of it is because I listened. This is one of my audible mm-hmm. books. So I listened to this and the narrator maybe wasn't the best match for the material plus my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering what my experience would have been if I had actually eyeball read this one mm-hmm. instead. 
it was fine. I liked it. Those character moments were really, really good, especially at one point. There's kind of a triad who really play well off of each other. But yeah, I don't know. And I keep coming back to my mental comparison is to Nine Fox Gambit. Yep, that, that's another I comp. That. I think those are the, the two comps, right? Is Anne Leckie's stuff and the Yoon Ha Lee stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of the lens I started reading it through. You know, when I, I'm reading the first chapter, and I'm like, oh, this feels really hard, like Nine Fox Gambit did. Mm-hmm. And so I kept going, and there were some other elements in it that reminded me of Nine Fox Gambit. And so I feel like this is kind of how I felt at the end of Nine Fox Gambit, too, where I was like, I think I. I liked it, but I don't know if I liked it. And so I, I don't know. I guess I'm lukewarm about it. All right. I, I wonder if I had not read Nine Fox Gambit and the whole Machineries of Empire trilogy before reading this, if I would have had a different experience. Because like as we talked about, those books like really drop you in with no help and you just have to like sink or swim. And yeah. I felt like the, the process of reading those books like helped rewire my brain a little bit and helped me recognize that I don't have to be quite as scared when I don't <laughs> when I don't know what's happening. So I think going into this, I definitely had a different experience, though, than you guys did in terms of the pace of the book. For some reason, like the first chapter, like when she's still at home, I was kind of like, this is this is probably OK, fine, whatever. I'm just going to read it and get through it. But honestly, from like the moment she hit the ground on Teixclan, like I was super in. And I just felt like I was, it actually reminded me a little bit of the Goblin Emperor, the yeah, idea of somebody yeah. showing up yeah. and not not understanding oh, what's going on around too. them. So I think I was on the edge of my seat already at that point. So while I can sort of like cerebrally recognize that the plot picks up and things kind of build and build, to me, it didn't feel that way because to me, I just felt like I was up there at the top, like kind of the entire way through, which was exhilarating in sort of in sort of its own way. Um, I think I the thing that changed for me was just that I was starting to recognize more of what the politics meant and who the the main players were and the machinations and stuff. That was that was the progression that I experienced as I read it. It's interesting to me because I did not read any of the Nine Fox Gambit books, and and I think I only read the first Anne Leckie book, and it wasn't really my thing. Hmm. And I don't feel like I had a problem with getting into this it didn't it didn't hamper me anyway but maybe that's just because it's like the kind of stuff that I, I like just in terms of having to sort of get dumped into a world and figure out where you are and also mm-hmm. because almost anything i read after anathem by neil stevenson where you have to do that yeah everything's pretty so easy after that you should read the second in the zan lecky book series because it's basically a deep space nine episode and you would like it um i'm serious it is <laughs> there's a lot of tea true. i'll put there's it on the list tea. there's a lot of tea, tea dan the comparison to the um goblin emperor is interesting because i also didn't like that book so oh, i wonder wow. if it's just Ouch. Hey, Scott, I remember uh, first I heard of this book as you put it on your list of the best books you read last year. <laughs> yes, I read this book a long time ago, almost uh, shortly after it came out, because it is, um, I think I said this about Anne, Anne Leckie's books, um, kind of like if you if you have a thought experiment about what kind of science fiction book would Scott McNulty like, uh, you would come up with this book. Uh because you know I'm I'm interested in empires and uh, weird stuff and uh, you know uh, fantastic science fictional ideas and this book has all of those things um, and for you know 
I like fantasy books, but I love science fiction. So whenever I am reading these award nominated books, I enjoy the fantasy books and I enjoy, you know, reading them because they're usually pretty good. Um, but I always in my heart of hearts want the best book of the bunch that I read to be a science fiction book because I feel like science fiction books should win these awards. Uh, and I think <laughs> that uh, this book should win the Nebula Award. All right. Well, that's six books. And now you know what that means. It's time. Six books, no waiting. Yeah, six books enter, six <laughs> books leave. We don't burn books. But I need all of you <laughs> to tell me uh, to rank your books in order from uh, one to six or five. Um, and then we will create a, uh, we'll have the, the results of our, our, uh, our, our consensus. Very I, scientific poll. I, I will go, mm -hmm. I will go first, uh, just to give you time to prepare your numbers. Uh, a memory called Empire, number one. The 10,000 Doors of January, number two. And I will say, for me, Memory Called Empire is a clear number one. Mark of Cain, spoiler for 30 seconds from now, is clear number six. <laughs> the other ones, the no. other four, was really hard because I liked them all. Um, and trying to differentiate between them was was hard. But 10,000 Doors of January, second. Song for a New Day, third. Gideon the ninth, fourth. Gods of Jade and Shadow, fifth. And Mark of Cain, uh, not a strong six. They clear six. Scott? I have a very uh, similar uh, conundrum here in that I have a very clear number one, which is the same as yours, uh, a memory called Empire. I have a very, very clear number six, which is no award, uh, which I don't <laughs> think is an option in Nebula. <laughs> uh, so I will do Mark of Cain uh, because it's not good. Don't read it. Uh, and then my second and third, I feel like are a tie. And my fourth and fifth, I feel like are, are a tie. So I have like tiers of books. Mm -hmm. So in second, I'll put Gods of Jade and Shadow. Uh, third, The 10,000 Doors of January. Uh, fifth, Gideon the ninth, or no, fourth Gideon the ninth. I think I skipped a number. Uh, the spreadsheet will fix it. Uh, and uh, fifth is a song for a new day, only because uh, we're living in a pandemic and uh, it brought me down. All right, Dan. Uh, number one for me, Gideon the ninth. Mm -hmm. I liked it. I really just have been was caught up in it. Um, number two, pretty close. Memory called Empire. I really enjoyed that one as well. Uh, numbers three and four were kind of a, that was the sort of my tie place. I could have gone either way. Ultimately, I think I give number three to a song for a new day because for the exact reasons I know it brought a lot of people down, it resonated more with me. And maybe that's just because it's the more recent of the ones that I read, but it felt very topical and very interesting. And it, I, I, like Jason was saying earlier, still thinking about it. Um, Number four, uh, 10,000 Doors of January. I liked it. I'm amazed that it's this low because I liked it a lot. But yeah, yeah uh, that's the competition. And then for me, fifth, Gods of Jade and Shadow, because I just, it didn't, did not work for me. Yep. And I don't have a six. Hey, five, five good books here. Um, out of six. Uh, Aline? Okay. Well, um, definitely Gods of Jade and Shadow is number one for me. Very close number two is Gideon the Ninth. And then it gets a little harder, but I think I think it's a memory called Empire. Mm -hmm. And then and then a song for a new day. And then the Ten Thousand Doors of January. Um 
All right. Yeah, I think that's my order. Erica? All right. Uh, I also have like a, a front runner and that is A Memory Called Empire was my very easy number one pick. For me, it's numbers two and three that are sort of like the sticky point. And I think I'm going to go with Gideon the Ninth um, as, as number two. I really did enjoy that. But A Song for a New Day is a close, close third because I, I just felt like it was it was a really good book. And you know, she got so much stuff right. I feel like she deserves to be recognized mm-hmm. for the yeah. fact that, uh, that yes, she's writing fiction, but she really did her research and, uh, and nailed, nailed a lot of stuff. Um, then, then there's uh, a little bit of a gap in uh, Gods of Jade and Shadow, uh, and then quite a bit of a gap in The 10,000 Doors of January. All right. I have tallied our results, and so our consensus list is... Um, Memory Called Empire, Gideon the Ninth, Gods of Jade and Shadow, Song for a New Day, 10,000 Doors of January. And then uh, Mark of Cain is also present. Oh, it's so close to my exact <laughs> list. technicality. Science. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a very average opinion, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that about you. Well, thank you. Oh, I found it weird it's... that I rated uh, 10,000 Doors of January higher than most of you, but I also considered it essentially in a four-way tie with, so I just <laughs> happened to float it to the top because I liked it a little bit more, but it's, it's, uh, it's fine because I really did feel like there were, there were, as a couple of people have said, clear number one, clear number six, and, uh, and then four other good books. And I hope mm-hmm. that, uh, dear listener, this discussion has maybe, um, spurred some thoughts as we've discussed these books of like oh that sounds like a book that i would like and that you have now got some new books on your reading list because we've we read all of them so you don't have to that's uh, why we're here or you can read them all that's fine too you, you should do that if you want to some don't of read, them don't, don't read them all. don't read mark kane <laughs> uh okay i want to thank my uh, panelists for reading all the books we'll be back in a in a few months um, or even sooner to talk about the Hugos, uh, fewer books, and then maybe some short stories and stuff then. Um, but uh, thank you to my panelists, Aline Sims. Thank you. Thank you. Dan Morin, thank you also for reading five books. Uh, it's my pleasure to read five and I look forward to reading some more. All right. More books in the future. Eric Ensign, thank you. Since I can vote in the Hugos, I plan to at least try reading all of yeah, them. <laughs> I, I'm voting in the Hugos too, and I, I'm going to try, I'm going to read all the books and I'm, I'm going to try to read some more of the stories. We'll see. I got I got some time to read. And Scott McNulty, thank you, as always. The pleasure is all mine, Jason. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable, the book club episode. I read so many books, but now it's done. Goodbye. We'll see you next week. 